Would you open up to First Peter as we continue to speak on sin, sin and temptation and the culture we live in and how serious sin is and that the Bible teaches us that we should, we have to take sin very seriously or we will be overcome by it. We don't have to be paranoid at the same time because we have Christ with us all the time. Amen. Amen. And that's important for us to know. Because if you read just the New Testament without the grace of Christ, you'd be a paranoid man. You couldn't do it. You'd run and hide. You could not live the life that God calls us to live unless you were born again and received the mercy of God. First Peter chapter 2. When I get there, I will let you know. I'm getting there. Starting in verse 9. <clears throat> Peter says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you like always, God. This is your word. We are your people. Lord, we just ask you to let the word become real in our hearts and our minds, Father God. Let the word of God possess us. Not us to possess the word, but the word to possess us, Father God. Let the truth that sets the captive free come with all its liberating power, emancipating power today, Father God, to set your people on foot, standing tall and at attention, God, sober-minded, self-controlled, ready for action, Father God, knowing that there is an enemy that wages war against our souls, Lord God. God, heighten our awareness and bless the sermon we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Uh, as we continue to speak on overcoming sin, overcome temptation, I will say it again and again and again. Uh, what brings me to this series is that just in the light of just many national speakers and ministries fallen into sexual sin and scandal over the last two years, specifically in the last couple of months, the last several months, uh, big ministers, big names, the last thing they thought was going to happen to them or the last thing they wanted to do was fall into any kind of sin and uh, you know, lose their ministries, lose their families, and so on and so forth. A lot of them are being restored to their families, but uh, it takes a toll, it takes a price. And the Bible is very clear about this. And as Christians, as, as a pastor, I step back to reflect on this and say, this, it's a serious issue. You know, we really do have to take sin serious without being paranoid about it and understand that we live under the grace of Christ and we really can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But that doesn't mean we can't be uh, lethargic. We can't have apathy. Man, we've got to be alert. The Bible says be sober-minded. Steady your mind for action, he actually says in chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 13. Set your mind for action, Peter says. 
We really do have to know what's going on. We have to take a true account of who we are. What's our weaknesses? I know my weaknesses. Unfortunately, I know them too well. But you know something? If I don't know my weaknesses, if I don't know my propensities, if I don't know my tendencies, they will get me. They're going to make life hard. So, especially in a lot of so many ministries falling lately, uh, we just want to speak about being careful over sin in our life and, and what the Bible says about it. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how the deceitfulness of sin, that sin is, is seducing, it's trickery, it's beguiling. Uh, it, you don't even know you're falling into it. it you know, it has a self-deceptive nature. Self-deception. That's the word Hebrews chapter 3 says. Be careful of the deceitfulness of sin. And the deceitfulness of sin and self-deception go hand in hand. We really think we'd be doing well and not realizing we're, we're walking on a slippery slope. As I said, those ministers that fell, if they looked at their life, they could probably see the trajectory of going into sin. They could see it. You can see the emotional side. You can see the physical side. If you're really a gut-wrenching honest, if we all looked at our own life, and we all looked at certain things in our life we wish we've never done, you could probably see the rose signs along the way. All of us. We spoke about the deceitfulness. We spoke about being prideful and thinking that we're above it. And that could never happen to me. That might happen to you, and that might happen to you, and that might happen to those ministers. It's certainly not going to happen to me. And when we spoke about what Paul says, be careful that you stand lest you fall. There's no temptation that is overtaking you. Wake up is what he's saying. Don't, don't think so highly of yourself. Be careful. Be humble. Pride goes before the fall. Tonight we read a text that speaks about sin's militant stance. It wages war. On our soul. That's something that since the, when I was a young Christian, I remember reading that the first time, and it was like a neon sign. I'm talking over 25 years ago. I remember reading my Bible. I remember reading First Peter. I remember getting to this text. And it just stood right there. Wages of war. And it's one of these things you know it's the Holy Spirit because I read it once and I never forgot about it. And I can quote it uh, word for word immediately. That's how I knew. How God speaks to us. We have to be careful. Sin is not some sort of misdemeanor. It's not some sort of weak opponent. Sin is militant. And it wages war against the soul. It's looking out. It's on a mission. It's on a mission to destroy us of destruction. And worst of all, this this enemy is an enemy within. He's not saying, uh, watch out for the temptations outside of you. It's the passions that wage war against our own soul. They're there. Sin in our text tonight is seen as something within, on a mission, has a mind. It's, it's personified. The actual, when it says wage war, that, that, that's used several times in the New Testament. It's always to do with warfare and a soldier. Always. Three times. Here it's to do with sin. It's personified as a soldier bent on destroying on a mission, sent on a mission. An enemy within that needs to be watched at all times and dealt with decisively. You deal with an enemy decisively. You don't, how could you say, uh, you don't negotiate with the, 
You don't negotiate with the enemy. You have to, all of us have to have our minds set inside, I'm going to deal with this the way God has called me to deal with it. That's through confession. That's through prayer. That's through uh, uh, filling our mind with the word of God. That's surrounding ourselves in community. We encourage one another. We wash each other in the word. Uh, there's, we've been going through all these ways that the Bible says, this is how you strengthen. I just don't go out and say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tough it out on myself. You tough it out on yourself and you'll be by yourself. Matter of fact, it's in that context that Peter says, be careful, your adversary, the devil roams around like what? A roaring lion. A roaring lion. I want to quote something from a Roman statesman of about a century before Christ. His name is Marcus Cicero. He says this, A nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and he carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar with his victims, and he wears their face and their arguments. He appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of society. He infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to be feared than a traitor. And that's what the sin, that's what the passions within us, that's the picture Peter paints here. It's a picture of a traitor within And if we're not careful, it's waging war against our soul. Peter calls it the passions of the flesh. And a traitor, and this is why, because passion's not a bad thing. Passion's given to us by God. But what it is, we don't turn it towards God. We turn it inward towards ourselves. And it's, 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 it's passions and ambitions run wild. It's desire run afoul. It's not Godward. It's selfwood. And this is the problem. This is the traitor. These passions don't elevate either us or society around us. They ruin it. Men are ruined by it. Societies are ruined by it. As Marcus was just teaching us, it's an every man for themselves type of lifestyle and society. That's the passions that wage war within us. They're passing pleasures. Uh, There's no forethought around us about life, what it's going to be like, what's the consequences. These passions, they they want to be exercised immediately in self-gratification. The passions of the flesh don't say, well, I'll, I'll wait till next month. The passions of the flesh want it now, and they want it more, and they want it constantly. And when they wake up in the morning, guess who there wants more? The passions of the flesh. It could be sexual, it could be drinking to excess, it could be jealousy and covetousness, it could be just undermining someone else's character through gossip and slander and malice. But the passions of the flesh are there, they're there to ruin us. This is the enemy, this is the traitor within. Instead of what I can do for to honor God and love God and love my neighbor, at the end of the day it's what can I do for myself and even at someone else's expense. As long as I come out on top. Peter names it differently in chapter 4. He says this. 
For the time is past. For the time that passed, it suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. He goes, the time is sufficient. It suffices already in the past. You've done that. You've been there. Don't do it again. You've received mercy now. You weren't a people. Now you're a people. Now you're the people of God. Listen to the way the message Bible says that verse. You've already, you've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken lifestyle. Now it's time to be done with it for good, once and for all. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join them in this, the old gang anymore. But you do not have to give an account to them. They are the ones who are called to the carpet to give an account before God himself. This is sin within, trying to deceive us and lure us away from God. It's a traitor to our souls. It promises fulfillment, but leads to death. And it leads to soul death. And here's the thing about it. Soul death is a slow, slow decline, death to the true self. We don't see it happening. Let me give an illustration. It's hard to see our souls decline many times until it's, it's too late. It's like the physical nature as it slowly breaks down and decrepitude and, 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 and it just starts to waste away. Uh, I saw this recently when I haven't seen someone in about 30 years, uh, a, an athlete of a man, a good man, and uh, but just caught up in the whole lifestyle of drinking and, and drugs and smoking. And I'm looking at a man my age, and he looks 75 years old, and it, 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 he's broken down. The body was broken down. The, the, the mental faculty was broken down. The, he was joyless on the inside. And, and I was talking to him, and, and all he could go over was the good old days. And I had to tell him they weren't that good. They weren't that good. I had to get bold. And, and, and I could see that he was wasting away. So it is with the soul. The passions that wage war against the soul, we don't even realize it. Peter doesn't say just the passions. It, it wages war against the soul. And what happens, uh, the part of us, the soul, that makes us unique, from different from the animal, the world. And that's the only difference between us and the animals. We have a soul. We worship God. We have the faculty of mind, of will, and of emotion. That's the soul. It's been beaten down. It ruined Cain. It ruined Samson. It ruined King Saul. It ruined David. It ruined many greater men than me and you. Passions of the flesh will wear us down and kill our souls. And one day the soul would not be able to operate. Just like when I saw my friend who looked 20 years older than he really is. He couldn't do anything physical no more. All his faculties were just all beaten up. And I, and I looked at him and that's what happens to the soul. After a while the soul doesn't do what it was meant to do. And it can't praise God. It can't experience God. It's just so beaten down. And that's what sin does. This is the faculty, the soul that communicates with God, knows the will of God, and lovely obeys God. Understand something, that's life at its best. Sin, the passions of the flesh, the traitor within, promises life, but it only leads to what? It only leads to death. And true life, Jesus says, you have to lose it in this world to gain it in the next. 
Because what is a profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? True life is the worship of God. John 17, 1 says this. This is life. This is life. Jesus said it. He's the author of life. He created all existence. When he says this is life, let's listen. This is life. To know God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's life. No matter what is going on around us, if it's not focused on God and his son, it is not life. It's death. Historically, what's taken place in this book, there's widespread persecution that Peter calls fiery trials. And Peter's encouraging these Christians to remain faithful and to live faithful even under persecution and fiery trials and, and great suffering. Stay faithful to God. He's especially concerned that his readers would try to avoid suffering. Many of us would try to avoid suffering in inappropriate ways. We, we want to escape pain and suffering. We, we, and if you want to escape pain and suffering, do we go forward or do we go backwards? And he's encouraged them, don't go backwards the way you used to. Time was sufficed already. You did that. You've been there. Now it's something different. Don't go backwards. I know you're under pressure, but I'm going to encourage you. I want you to adopt a perspective that you are resident aliens in this world and that you don't belong to this world anymore or belong to Satan anymore. You're a chosen nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're here to proclaim the excellency of God. You were once not a people, but now you're a people. You once didn't receive mercy. Now you receive mercy. Now you're the people of God. You have the purpose for God. That's how he encourages. Don't Take the path of least resistance. Live as God's children, heirs of the kingdom of Christ. Don't be consumers in this world. Be disciples for the next. Live holy as he is holy and embrace hard times, suffering, and even temptation as it's the will of God himself. Also, along with being a sincere witness to those who are still in darkness. What can we do? Passions that wage war against our soul, a traitor within. It's something we can all identify with. Even right now, you might be thinking about certain things. Uh, We shared this last week. We know all sin is forgiven. I, I take no greater comfort at all every moment of this life that my sins are forgiven. There is no greater comfort than the knowledge that my sins are forgiven. When the Bible says God remembers their sin no more, please don't take that as some kind of Christianese. That is because God chooses not to take our sins into account. He chooses not to see our sins, but understand he sees every other sin and he's going to deal with every sin that's ever been committed. But when it comes to me and you, Christ took it on the cross for us. What can we do? How can we fight the temptations within? 
How can we overcome them? Well, the Bible says a lot about it, and we've been speaking about it. I'm only going to pull out three suggestions out of what I think Peter's saying here, and, and then try to drive that home into application on what we can do. What's Peter saying we can do to abstain from the passions of that wage war against our soul? Do we, do we stay home and don't go out? How's that? How about a monistic lifestyle? How about everybody go home and we'll all call out of our caves next Sunday at 3.30 and come to church? Encourage each other to slip back into our cave. Don't let anybody know you're around. Don't hang around with the old friends. Don't, don't go anywhere. Just stay in. Well, that wouldn't work. That'd be self-destruction. We'd go nuts. There has to be a way. And there is. We quoted one verse of scripture. I wanted to read it again in chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, in the passions of the flesh, in drunkenness, in orgies, in drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. They judge you is what he's saying. They, 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 they hurl inserts, insults at you. Here's something we have to understand. And, and we know the great proverb that uh, you know, he who forgets the past is what? Is doomed to repeat it. If we forget the past, we're doomed to repeat it. That's what Peter's saying here. We cannot forget the past. He's saying for the time that his past suffices for doing what he's he saying. He did it already. He did it already. And, and guess what? Now that you don't do it, you have the pressure of your friends saying, where have you been? Oh, you're one of those. You're, one of, you're a Christian. And then you have to go through that whole scenario. And so we have to understand something. What Peter's saying here, objectively and experientially, this is important. There is a lot of power in looking back at our whole life and recognize it doesn't work anymore. It does not work. I'm not here 25 years later because I enjoyed myself so greatly out there that, you know, I'm just, I just, I wish I would be dead already so I can just go home and be to heaven. No. Objectively and experientially, I know it's a worthless life. The passions that wage war against my soul don't offer my soul a thing. They're empty. I've been there. I haven't done everything, but I've done enough to prove sin does not prosper. It does not. It does not fulfill. It is temporary. It's like a, it's like a sugar rush. It's like a sugar high. It elevates you and then slam dunks you on the floor as you crash. It does not fulfill the sensuality, the passions, the drunkenness, the orgies. I love Peter. Peter's great. Now, here's the thing. Drinking parties. This is 2,000 years ago. You don't think Peter was caught up in drinking parties. You just don't see the apostles just running in that crowd. You know what I mean? But they know. They know. Through experience. Not they were drunkards. They were good Jewish boys, actually. But they were dealing with the pagan believers now. They know it's empty. Absolutely empty. So there's power. There's a lot of power 
and recognizing, going over what we used to be. It's a healthy, healthy thing to remember what I was 25 years ago before Christ came into my life. Where I was in my mind, where I was in my thoughts, where I was in my behavior, where I was in my desires and anticipations for more sin. One commentator says, old friends can be the worst enemies. Some of the persecution Peter's readers were experienced were due to their unwillingness to continue in the old lifestyle with their un, old, unsaved friends. He goes on to say, this continues to be a common source of persecution for Christians today. <clears throat> he quotes another commentator. says this, Unsaved people do not understand the radical change that their friends experience when they trust Christ and become a child of God. They do, they do not think it's strange when people wreck their bodies, destroy their homes, ruin their lives by running from one sin to another, but let a drunkard become sober and an immoral person pure and the family thinks he has lost his mind. Warren Worsby. How true that is. I live like a wild man and no one thought anything. I got saved and they thought I lost my mind. My, am I right or wrong? If you're out there womanizing and drinking and gambling and ruining your life, everybody's all, everybody's comfortable. All of a sudden, I say, no, I've turned my life around. I give my life to Christ. And, oh, you're really a nut now. But the truth of the matter is, without recognizing that, we do have to be careful of those around us that speak in a negative sense because that can be something that wears us down to the point of being weakened to struggle with the passions of the flesh. He says something here in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. I love Peter. Preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just as the past can be a great restraint from going backward into the sin. Again, just like the past can be a great restraint, can hold a lot of power, a restrained power not to go backwards. So can looking into the future with anticipation to be with Jesus can sway just as much power. You put these two together, if I remember what I was before Jesus came, and what I'm going to be fully when Jesus comes back, that empowers me to live for Christ today. It empowers me to live for Christ today. I can see the emptiness. Things that used to lure me, things I thought I'd never, ever possibly get over, I can look at it now objectively, experientially, put it in light of what I'm going to be and what I was forgiven and say, no, I don't need that anymore. It is empty. If I look at it long enough, guess what? You'll want it. You can look at all things. When you look at it long enough, it'll come alive again. It'll have a resurrection. These two together give us a very healthy perspective on how to live life today. What we were, not a people. What we were, living in sin. What we were, had no mercy. To now being a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, 
a people onto God's own possession to proclaim His excellencies until we're looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I load up my mind for action. I'm sober-minded. I'm alert. I'm saying I don't want to go backwards. I'm being tempted today, but I'm looking forward. And when I remember what I was, I remember where I'm going to be. I can deal with today the way God chose me to. That's a healthy perspective. That's the biblical Perspective, And there's something interesting about this text when you read First Peter. You read some, they're going through some really hard times. And you would think the apostle would say, you know something, I'm going to take it easy on you. Don't worry about it. You go out and get drunk all you want. It's, it's hard. Life's hard. You know, life's challenging. You know what I mean? You have a little sexual fornication. Yeah, don't worry about it. You know, I understand you're being persecuted. Your family hates you. Your friends hate you. Everybody hates you. You're all alone. It's lonely. It's lonely. It's lonely. I understand. Just go for it. Just, just repent and come back. No, no, Peter doesn't do that. Peter reminds them of what they were saved for. Sometimes we just get the attitude that salvation is just going to heaven. Please don't miss it. It's not just about going to heaven. That's the new heaven and new earth where we're going to do what we're doing now perfectly. Now we proclaim the excellencies of God. We worship God. We're priests unto God. And we right now we don't do it perfectly. We do it imperfectly. But we're getting ready to do it what? Perfectly. So what we're going to go do for eternity, we're doing now. He's saying, get with it. Get to it. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the light. This verse goes to show on the third one. The new identity we have. We fight old passions, not just with the future glory with Christ. We fight these passions, not just what they're they're empty and we were there, we've done that. But we fight these passions with what we are now as Christians. We are a chosen people. Peter digs deep into the Old Testament and he takes all the accolades and all the uh, allusions and illustrations and metaphor of what Israel was as God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, a special possession and treasure. And he now takes it all and says, no, you are now God's chosen people because of Christ. You are now the apple of his eye. You're the royal priesthood. Not anybody can just go to God and worship God. Anybody who goes to God right now, as I speak, for 2,000 years, and all the way back to the Old Testament, if you don't go through Jesus Christ, it's idolatrous. God is not happy with any worship, no matter how sincere, no matter how good it might look. If you're not coming through the Son, you don't have the Father. We really can easily take worshiping God for granted. As though you could have woke up any day of your life and started worshiping God. No, you couldn't. The Holy Spirit had to move on your heart. The Holy Spirit had to convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit had to convict you of repentance. The Holy Spirit had to convict you of faith. I had to give you faith to put it into Christ. And then the ball of worship started. All those prayers we were praying all those years. God, help me. God, watch over me. God, do this. All those foxhole prayers, they were real. But it was not worship. It was not worship. Worship begins when you look at God and say, God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you. That's worship. I was grateful for many years for things that God had done in my life. But it wasn't worship. It wasn't worship. 
Don't take what we did earlier singing and worshiping for granted. Don't take what we do now for granted. Don't take for granted that you can wake up and you pray. And God's hearing your prayers like he hears everybody else's prayers. He's not hearing their prayers as they're their chosen people. As though they're a royal priesthood. As they're a holy nation. As they're God's people for his own possession. He is not. If you don't have the son, you don't have the father. And we have to remind ourselves day in and day out and week in and week out and and decade in and decade out. I'm a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. I'm not a royal priest. I'm not a chosen man. I'm part of the chosen race. That's us. It's the whole thing is an us, us program. We come together and I find strength in numbers. There is something about worshiping God with the the people of God. There's something about it. It has a restraining influence. Fellowship. And yesterday at the picnic, was it was great. You, you feel close to God when you're close to his people. You come out to worship on Sunday, you feel close to God when, you, when you're close to his people. How can I love God, First John says, who I don't see, if I can't love his people who I do see? How can I really say I love the Lord? Oh, I love God. Did you see him? No. Who have you seen? Do you see his people? Do you love his people? Do you fellowship with his people? Do you want to communicate with his people? Do you encourage his people? Do his people encourage encourage, uh, you? Of course. We need one another. We are a chosen race. We are the royal priesthood. We are the holy nation. We are a people for his own possession. God possesses us. Through redemption and adoption, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not through worthless things, Peter says, as gold and silver refined in a fire, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The price of admission to be a royal priest, the price of admission to be a chosen race, was the death of Christ. These verses show our new identity with a new purpose. The believer upon salvation is swept up into God's purpose and redemption. We're swept up into the original design for man. God brings dignity back into our life. Now I can wake up and I'm not the first thing on my mind. God is. God is. I don't care if my family rejects me. My neighbors reject me. The world rejects me. My old friends reject me. I'm a special possession of God. That's all I need to know. That's it. If no one wants to come with me, that's what they can do it. I'm going. And I'm going to heaven. This is what God has done. This is the original plan for humanity. We're worshiping God. We're worshiping God. Sometimes I'm worshiping God. God, I love your son so much. I thank you. And other times I'm worshiping God. God, forgive me. I love you so much. I'm, forgive my sin. And I thank you for the blood. That's worship. That's worshiping God. This is not worship of God. Oh God, I'm perfect. Oh God, I'm not like the tax collector in the back of the room. I fast three times a week. I give my tithe. And I'm not like the rest of the world. No, this is worship. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's worship. That's worship. Adam was created, but he failed. Israel was chosen, but they failed. Christ was sent. He did not fail. 
God has given humanity back to us. God has given us dignity. Please embrace the dignity that Christ gives us. Embrace the new dignity of being a chosen people, a people for his own possession. Don't let Satan tell you what you used to do. Don't let your friends tell you what you used to do. Don't let your conscience condemn you like you're a miserable failure. Quote the word of God, you're a chosen people, a people for his own special possession. That's who you are. But pastor, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it either. But the Bible says it. That's all God cares about. That's all we care about. Amen? Amen. That's where power is. What Peter is saying, you're not like you used to be anymore. I know you're going to a new church. You're not going to the temple of Artemis. You're not burning sacrifices. You're not eating food uh, uh, given to demons. Understand something. I know you're in this little corner of the neck of the woods and you got a couple of old scrolls and you're talking about Jesus who the world thinks was a criminal and he died on the cross. But you know him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They think you should be worshiping Caesar, but you're worshiping this man named Christ. They think you should be doing this, but you're doing that. And they laughing at you and they're mocking at you but they don't realize that in your life you got a new heart and you're worshiping God we got it right they got it wrong we got to remember that because sometimes when the passions of the flesh are coming at myself I got to remember and say I'm not of this world I'm not of this world I was saved for about the first three years. I fought hard. Oh, God, the passions of the flesh. Miserable. Miserable. Absolutely miserable. I said, God, I cannot do this. Who can live under such pressure? Relieve me of the pressure. Guess what? He didn't do. He did not relieve me of any pressure. But he taught me I'm a chosen generation. He taught me I'm a royal priesthood. He taught me I am a possession for himself. That means he took me to himself. That's where my strength was. My strength wasn't by removing the temptation. My strength comes from who I am in Christ. That's where strength comes from. You got to get lumped up a little bit. I can go on. I can go on. I can go on. But I'll close. The Bible says much about the believer's life, how he's equipped to overcome sin and temptation. A big part of this is identity. Peter calls it a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, uh, a holy nation, uh, a people for God's own possession who are there to proclaim the excellencies of God, who call them out of darkness into the life. Paul says, I'm a new creation. Paul says that I'm baptized in Christ. Paul says I died with Christ and I was raised with Christ. Paul says I'm led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. You see, we have all these analogies and illustrations of what the Holy Spirit does, that we're sons and daughters of God. Now, that's where our strength comes from. So our job to overcome sin as a pastor, we must... Let the congregation know who they are in Christ and how God sees you now. That empowers you, that emboldens us to go out and live in the world. That's how we do it. And one day we walk in and he says here in 1 Peter, I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to close with this verse. 
But love, I urge you as pilgrims to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 11. Now listen to verse 12 and we'll just close with this. Now because I know who I am in Christ, I can keep my conduct among the Gentiles honorable. I can do that now. I can walk amongst an unhonorable people who have no morals, who are caught up in debauchery, hedonism, a moral wasteland, where I used to be, I can walk amongst them now and live an honorable life. Above the passions of the... You know how sweet that is? Sometimes we got to be careful. We think that Christian life is, oh, you know, running from one temptation to the other. And one, oh, my goodness. Oh. Listen, when you're a young believer, you get beaten up. I'm going to be honest with you. Be easy on yourself, all right? That's why you come to church on Sunday. That's why you come on Monday. That's why you come on Thursday. That's why you call up people. That's why you pray. But the day comes when you're like, you know something? Praise God. Praise God. I can walk by that bar. I can walk by that old thing. I can walk by that. And I'm not that person more. I can keep my conduct amongst the Gentiles and my old friends honorable. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word that declares to us, no, proclaims to us who we are now in Christ, Father. And that we can overcome the passions of... We can overcome the traitor within, Father God, by our new identity in Christ. These desires run afoul. These desires that we used to chase, Father God, at a time in our life. We thank you there was a time in our life that we had not received mercy. We weren't born again yet. But then we received mercy when we asked Christ into our life. There was a time we were not the people of God. We were in the world without God and without hope. But now we are the people of God, a possession for you, Father God, the apple of your eye, God. I ask that you encourage all of us in this day, in this age, when pressure is going to mount from bad to worse, Father God. And the passions of the flesh are going to try to drag us backwards. Old friends will try to drag us backwards. Society is going to try to tell us and determine what morality is. But we're going to stand strong and we're going to proclaim the excellencies of you to a dying world and we're going to tell them, I was once blind but now I see. I was once in the darkness but now I am in the light. So Father, we thank you for calling us a royal priesthood to proclaim the rest of our life, Jesus Christ. Amen.